Hello, and welcome to The Unique CPA. I'm your host, Randy Crabtree. The goal of our show is to keep you at the forefront of the changing face of public accounting by having conversations with fascinating leaders and bringing you their stories, insights, and advice. The Unique CPA podcast is brought to you by Trimerit, the specialty tax professionals. Today, our guest is Mark Koziel. Mark became president and CEO of Alineal Global, an association of accounting and consulting firms in August of 2020, which in itself is a unique experience, I'm sure. Uh, He did this after 14 years with the AICPA. Uh, Mark has often been named as one of the most influential people in accounting by Accounting Today and one of CPA Practice Advisors' 25 thought leaders, among numerous other recognitions that I'm not going to list now. But Mark, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Randy. Great to be here. Yeah, no, it's it's awesome to have you. I had uh, I had even before you had uh, taken over this position at Alineal, uh, you were on my radar of radar of uh, a guest for the podcast. So I appreciate you uh, agreeing to do this. And and I mentioned in the intro there uh, the uniqueness of taking over as the uh, the leader of Alineal during the the current unique situation we're in uh, during the pandemic. I'm assuming that probably brought more challenges than you expected. It did. And interestingly, you know, transitioning from AICPA to Millennial Global, and it was actually, I first spoke to Barry Melanson, the CEO of uh, AICPA, to tell him I was leaving back in April. So we were right in the middle of the pandemic and PPP and what the government was going to do. And uh, our team at AICPA were just going crazy with trying to help our member firms and it was literally you know hunkered down everybody was working 12 15 hour days just trying to sift through all of the stuff that was out there and keep our members up to date we started a weekly town hall series eric Oskerson and i were hosting and so right in the middle of that i am interviewing with millennial millennial was on my radar uh, as one of the, if I were to ever leave AICPA, it would be one of the associations that I would have chosen. And so when I talked to Barry about it in April, I said, you know, I said, look, we, we have a long runway here. I'm going to start there August 1st. I'll leave July 31st. By then the pandemic will be over. PPP will be over <laughs> and everyone can move on with their lives. Well, good thing I'm not a futurist. No, no. Yeah, we. Uh, it was good wishing. Uh, I think we all were hoping that was the case. It wasn't. But you mentioned something there that, you know, the PPP would be over. I suppose uh, at least we got through a, a portion of it. But PPP has been never ending and, uh, and, and continuing now at this point. But before we get into potentially something like that, I want to talk about then the Illenial because, you know, I've, uh, I've known Illenial for a while. I've looked at, uh, you know, some things that uh, your blogs and, and plans you have. And I know you're a strategic plan in place with a, a five, I think I had heard you mention five uh, key aspects to that. Actually, before I move on, you want to highlight that at all? Or is that something you'd like to talk about? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. And I've, I've worked a lot around strategic planning with uh, AICPA with different committees and things. And so the importance for me was to get a cohesive plan for the entire organization. And to do that, we started with the Global Executive Board. We looked at you know where we've been as an organization, where we're going. We looked at where the profession's at, where the profession is going, I think more importantly, and then how we need to help our member firms with that. 
to make sure that our firms are ready. And so we talk a lot about commerce, connectivity, global brand, you know, being member focused to advance the member firm forward, and then also being client focused. Those are the five pillars that we created out of this. And we did not do that in a vacuum. Global executive board, then we went to each regional uh, committee, each regional board that we had, and each regional task force in our smaller regions, and we did a strategy cafe. We did that so that we could get their understanding and to see if anything needed to be changed, what they liked about that plan, and it really brought uh, cohesion around us globally and to see that we did have a lot of commonality. And so now we're implementing that plan. Yes, technology is around a lot of that, but at the end of the day, that client relationship still is the one thing that is never changing as a profession. The client relationship was important in the Ebenezer Scrooge days <laughs> of what client accounting was to today with technology doing a lot of that and us doing more of the advisory, but understanding that client relationship, getting things done for the client absolutely is necessary. We put that at the forefront of what we do. Yeah, well, that, that's, I think, a good segue into where we can go next, because I know part of it is just talking about the business model within the firms and, and client accounting being a, a key aspect that I know you uh, have a passion about. What are you advising clients? What are you looking to do? What, 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 how are we looking to help our firms help our clients through these accounting services? And it's, it definitely goes back to my days of AICPA and bringing that knowledge into a lineal where, you know, I, I talk a lot about when I talk about the future of the profession, I, I take our three kind of traditional lines of services and I break them down. You know, the historical audit versus the transformational audit of the future. We are very involved in that at Alineal. We have a number of our firms that are on the, the dynamic audit solution team in the U.S. We are also talking about a global rollout of what that would look like for our member firms and working with Caseware and the technologies around that tax and moving from the tax compliance to the tax advisory, talking a lot in SALT and indirect tax. So indirect tax globally, VAT tax, as an example, are big items for our member firms. And there are technology solutions that are going to help with that. But we're, we can continue to do the compliance. We will automate that. But that allows us then to have deeper conversations with the client. Mm -hmm. And the same with client accounting. The more we can automate the routine, the mundane, the more we can move up scale into the advisory work. And we're seeing that a lot with firms. Now, this pandemic has proven the fact that we are the ultimate trusted advisor. Oh, no yeah. matter what country I was talking to, when government programming hit, small business, medium businesses, they called their accounting firm first to say, what do I do? And in client accounting, interestingly enough, for a lot of small business, medium-sized businesses, those firms that 10 years ago when digital CPA started through CPA.com, and we we're having that conversation, there are firms that already transformed their client accounting from traditional bookkeeping write-up to truly being an automation of the transactional and offering advisory work on top of that full-blown CFO services. And then the clients are anywhere in between that. And because of that, when the pandemic hit, those firms that have already made that switch are now much farther ahead than the firms that haven't. The haves and the have-nots right now. Okay. Because they had clients they tried to move to that platform who said no and then the pandemic hit and the clients were then calling them saying, please sign me up. 
right. and they couldn't actually even keep up with the work that was there. Uh, so the, the good news is coming out of this pandemic, there are more companies than ever looking at that. That is absolutely brand new business to the profession. That is going to add uh, to the profession what we what we do. And so I do see that it's huge opportunity. At Alinea, we have a client accounting community. We are talking about that transformation. I just got off the phone with another group where we're actually offering a bunch of different workshops and consultancy type of opportunity for the firms to transform their business. I'm old school. I mean, I I, I, I left, I guess, left technically public accounting in, in 06, uh, stayed in public accounting for the most part, just not the same tax season I used to have now with specialty work. Right. But when I was getting out then, you know, accounting services were drying up. Everybody was starting to use QuickBooks and everything else. And it was like, everybody was constant. And again, I'm old school. It's the things that passed me by. But I can see completely how this makes sense now with the whole automation and be able to go through this, but not only just the ease of doing it, the, just the data you have now from a standpoint of, all right, I'm doing the tax return too. I'm seeing this monthly. I know I'm going to have it timely. I know I'm going to get this done. And then just being able to advisory services, see these financial statements on a more regular basis, the way we can do. I'm assuming that's a huge part of being able to continue our service, our clients, but also grow our firms. Yeah. So the start of the conversation is it hasn't changed, right? So from, from your days, my days, I go back to, you know, the mid nineties, early two thousands practicing, and so you go out to the client and say, client, look, your bookkeeper's a yo-yo. And I right. understand it's your brother-in-law's nephew on the other side, but he's still a yo-yo. <laughs> and you need to get rid of him, put him out in the warehouse somewhere, I don't care. Let us take over the, the accounting. Now, what's changed in the conversation is then we used to do that. We'd go into the client monthly and we'd do all the journal entries because they were messy to begin with. Yep. And then us just doing that. Now what we're talking about is we will take over your entire accounting department. We will put you up on our platform. We will decide what is the right platform for your business, whether it's QBO, Zero, Sage Intact, Sage Accounting, whatever the products are is irrelevant. You are hiring us to do it. We know what's best. We will build the tech stack. We have that, bill.com, Expensify, uh, we have some type of a financial statement reporting package, all of that. Client doesn't care. Client never asks you what tax platform you use to do their tax return. They don't care. And we should be making that decision, not, you know, to the comfort of the administrative assistant in the, in the client, right? And so that's really the transformation. And then we're going to data ingest. We are going to automate the heck out of that. And then we're going to ask the client, what else, what are your other wants that you're not getting you can't, you can't afford a controller. You can't afford a CFO, but you could pay us on a part-time basis to do that. We will roll that all in. You know, we're going to do the transactional at 3000 a month, step up to five for the middle tier, step up to eight for the top tier, however you do that. And we're automatically adding advisory into how we're pricing this out. But we should never, in my estimation, offer less than what the going rate for a bookkeeper would be. Right. right. So I talk to firms and I'm like, you know, this is an absolute must. And as we do that, I might as well talk about the pricing of it, because when yeah. I say about three tier pricing, it is a, a monthly recurring fee. That's it. We're going to put it on a credit card, whatever. 
and then let them just forget about it. Uh, and when I talk to firms about that, hours rate, who cares? At this point, we could be more profitable inside of that type of environment. And I was talking to a member firm about this uh, back months ago, and they said, oh, we already did that. In fact, we are so good at it that all of our clients chose our top tier. And I looked at them and I said, then your prices are too low. Yeah, yeah like, I can ah, see that. How can you say that? I said, because everybody picked it. Right. I said, if it, it, it should only be about 15% at best that are going to pick that top tier because it's going to be the, the cream of the crop that are doing that. But about 70% should be in that middle tier. And so getting that right becomes important too. And we're working with our firms on that right now. Yeah, that was a, so you segue exactly where I wanted to go with the pricing models, because I know that's a passion of yours as well. I, I have a question on that, because when you're doing those pricing models, it's it is not timesheet based, I'm assuming. And do you get do you get pushback from people that have traditionally been so tied to those timesheets? And what are we going to do without the timesheets in this area? Or how's that work? Totally. You know, so I, I grew up uh, and try to understand this. Right. And, and the logic behind it because we keep telling our people they need to be more efficient yet we put all of their goals and aspirations based on the number of hours that they can produce for a particular client do it faster but bill more hours mm -hmm. those are in complete conflict with each other and that, none of that is even relevant to the client again i go back to that client relationship ultimately yep. right right and when you look at where the where pricing is headed as a as a society, now this subscription pricing becomes even more and more. Think about the fact that you could get uh, concierge medicine on a subscription basis, where a client, you know, we keep thinking in our profession that we need more clients, we need more clients, we need to grow, we need to do all these things. Yet in medicine, because they're just so tired of getting beat up on the pricing all the time that there are doctors who are saying, you know what, I'm no longer going to accept insurance. This is how much I want to make. I am going to choose the number of clients that I want to do that. I'm going to do it on a concierge basis. They're going to pay me to keep them well, not to service them when they're sick, but to keep them well throughout the year. And I could do that better under a concierge environment rather than people just coming in when they have a cough. And I think the profession needs to think about it in the same way. Begin with the end in mind. How much is it that we want to make? How much do we want to pay our people? How many do we want to have? And then we could backfill into that based on how we price our clients and what services we incorporate into that. Client accounting is super easy to do that. It's a great way to do it. Uh, there are other people who say, well, I can't do that in tax or audit. The what if, what if, what if? Well, you know what? We generally know. In fact, we start to have the wrong conversation with clients and we give discounts to 80% of our customers, 80% of our clients who never asked for it, right. to be honest. Because you know, I had a situation when I was in my firm, uh, I had a, a, a opportunity uh, for one of our audit group. I was in a different group. One of my, my employees had this opportunity. They go out to the client and the, the client says, you know, the firm they're with, they, they kind of, the firm outgrew them. The firm got too big. Uh, their calls aren't getting returned as frequently as before. They're not as well connected. And so when they come back, I'm talking to the audit partner and I said, so, you know, how to go, what do you think? And he says, well, you know, these are all the things we talked about. They're not getting serviced. Uh, they're getting their stuff late, all these things. And he said, well, they're currently paying, let's call it $20,000 a year now. 
And he said, with audit efficiency, I think we could do it for 17.5. And I said, whoa, wait a minute. So they are paying $20,000 a year now for bad service. Right. Did you ask them what they're willing to pay for better service? Right. The market rate for getting lousy stuff is $20,000, right? Yep, yep. So why why not have that conversation? That conversation right. looks sense. very different. Yep. Those, those are the power tools, Randy. I think we need, as a profession, more so to be proud of who we are and, and price for it accordingly. Yeah, you know, that, that that's I've historically been that way. I, I The same way I felt when I was in practice that, that, you know, the biggest conversation that I'd have when I got together with my local firms and we'd meet once a month was just that whole pricing and giving too much discount and D clients and how to get rid of them. And it seems like things have stayed the same. And hopefully that's not that's what you're looking to change is the uh, new leadership uh, of Millennial Global. Well, so part of that, too, Randy, is we have these conversations, right? So not-for-profits, you know, I, I did a lot of not-for-profit audits. I've talked to a lot of firms who have, and they complain about the fact that they can't make money at the not-for-profit client. Now imagine if we took over the client accounting for that not-for-profit, because they can't, and I, I had a firm that did this. Uh, they, they went to their client and they said, look, you keep trying to hire a CFO on a controller's budget and it's not working. Let us take over the client accounting and we'll do that. And then you can go out and find another audit firm. And so when, when we talked about it and they said, you know what, now we're making four times the fee we were making, much better client for us today. I said, yeah, and somebody else got a better audit actually. So now you can actually right. make money at that audit because everything is done the way that it makes it the ideal audit client. And I looked at the managing partner. I said, but who got the audit? And they said, oh, well, they, you know, they just went out to, to bid locally. I said, but wait a minute. It wasn't in our association. This is right. when I was at AICPA. I said, well, you're in so-and-so association. Why wouldn't you give it to one of those firms? So that's the conversation we're having here at Alinea. We are an association of independent accounting firms. There's no reason why we can't have a firm doing the client accounting and another firm doing the audit and a client relationship yep. at the core of what we do, managing the client relationship from both ends. And that makes sense that that you've got that that friendly relationship between firms working together and, and helping overall with the uh, that client relationship. So that makes a lot of sense to me. I think that's great information there. So now one thing I want to talk about, just because we mentioned at the beginning, this whole pandemic that we're in and, and how that has affected uh, your leadership and things you've had to deal with. Obviously, one of the biggest things we've had to deal with as uh, as a profession that no one would have thought about a year ago is the PPP loans. And not only PPP loans one, which we are still living nine months, 10 months after it came out, but now we got PPP loan two. And so I guess the question is, you know, how have you worked with clients with that? But can we actually tie any pricing models uh, that you discussed into the PPP advisory services as well? You know, when we think about PPP, I talked about trusted advisor before and how we were proven to be the ultimate trusted advisor. As I was with AICPA and now talking to member firms here at Alineal, one of the things that we found very quickly is because of our pricing model of hours times rate or trying to price off of each one of these individual services, we had to then kind of do that with PPP, which made it kind of uncomfortable for some. You know, there was this whole idea of, you know, collecting an agent fee from the bank 
we said very early on that's highly unlikely uh, unless you have an engagement letter from the bank that's not going to work firms are like no you need to go fight this and i'm like look there is you know we're on the phone with treasury just about every other week and we we knew full well they were building the plane in the air they, mm-hmm. But as we were having these conversations, we could get a sense of, you know, where it was that they were going. And we kept talking about assuming positive intent. Now, there are a lot of firms, a lot of small firms. And again, I mentioned this client accounting space, this community that's out there, the digital CPA that was created 10 years ago by CPA.com. There were a number of firms that we were talking that said, look, I am their outsourced CFO. So this became just part of the, the project. Right. So it, those who were doing it for client accounting, it became very easy and seamless. Mm-hmm. But then they also incorporated a special service line that they were able to offer to clients that they didn't have necessarily. And then they they created it. They boxed it. They priced it separately. And then those became new potential engagements for them in client accounting space. So they actually, again, started to even increase their business off of PPP, charging for it up front, but creating a an actual service line around it and making it almost like an insurance product that you can say, okay, 24-7, you have access to us, we'll answer your questions, but we're going to walk you through this process. We'll get you uh, applied for up front. We will determine first and foremost whether or not PPP is even right for you. And round two is going to look even more so like that. Do you even qualify based on the the additional qualifiers they put in? But we need to have those conversations with our clients. And so, yes, I mean, it made us as a profession busier than ever. Delay tax season. Oh, yeah. And then on top of that, add PPP and our member firms uh, just it was in, in 2020 was an incredibly busy year. But here we are, 21, looking at the same darn thing. Oh, yeah. And, two, yeah. right on top of tax season, which probably won't get delayed this year, right? So uh, at least they got, as they uh, passed PPP2, they also included deductibility. We had a strong sense. When I was at AICPA, we kept saying that, not passed yet, but it's in there. We're expecting it. We're expecting it. You know, for a lot of CPAs, they got to see the black and white of it and they want to see when it's in writing and passed. Uh, But we are saying, look, give your clients a sense that it probably will be passed. You can go on that assumption. By the way, don't file for forgiveness just yet. Wait until we get all that gets sorted out. Now, CPA.com has a great tool that they've done with the tech space. Uh, to manage your clients and and just different ways to to handle the PPP loan application, the forgiveness of PPP one, and also uh, applying for PPP two. So we've encouraged all of our firms here at Alineo to get involved in that, uh, and I, I'm hopeful that they are. And it's just a great way to offer additional services on top of it. Only CPAs can get it at this point, I think. Uh, a great way to manage your clients and and automate that space. Yep, yep, that's nice. And is that so? I, I'm guessing that, that we're much well more well prepared for this round. How about pricing models? Have that have that uh, tweaked? Has that been able to be adjusted? Or we pretty much uh, know where we are in set in stone at this point? Or for the firms on pricing PPP two, yeah. probably. You know, I think they're over the fact that they didn't get it in round one. 
many of them, because they are better prepared, can at least put some type of an engagement, hopefully having that conversation with the client. Uh, but because we've already been through it once, I'm hopeful that it's yep. not as big of an issue to get paid and paid accordingly on round two. Yeah. And that, so the the other thing that this has taught us too, just this whole last year of new tax legislation and everything is that we have to be flexible um, with uh, uh, how we're looking at things. And, and a good point to that is pretty much everybody in the profession, I, I'm, I'm generalizing here, uh, was uh, not paying a whole lot of attention to employee retention credits because if you took a PPP loan, uh, you weren't eligible for employee retention credits. And now when the CAA came out at the end of December, all of a sudden that came back into play for 2020 and strengthened in 2021. So that's just another area where I see uh, firms having opportunities to go out and generate additional revenue with new service offering. One, retro proactively for 2020 and two, well, proactively for 2021, because there's some issues that they need to be aware of with that too. And just the whole interplay between the, even though you can do it with the PPP, there is an interplay between the PPP and the employee retention credit. And then there's actually interplay between the employee retention credit and potentially other credits. So there's just a lot of advice and that clients have to do out there, but it's just, it's, I, I don't miss being directly in public accounting right now. It's definitely an interesting time. Uh, I like being able to be, educate myself on this stuff without having to do it day to day because it's a not an envious position that our firms but, are in right now. But you're right. And like, just I think I think the nuance there on the ETC versus the or the yeah the employer retention the ERC. Uh, yep, ERC. Thank you, ERC versus the PPP. You know, I, I, I believe you can't take them on the same period. So that was the big thing. Same like, dollars you, know, you can't do. You yep, can't yeah, get, yeah, yep, yeah. exactly. So, but they, there is some math to that. And there's yep. oh, yeah. advisory. I mean, this is all advisory. Exactly. About. Exactly. In round one, I will tell you, there were so many firms. We'd sit there on the town halls and before we could even get started. It, now, the town halls started, I think, sometime in April. Weekly, I think they're done once a month, but they've accelerated as PPP2 got passed yep. right out of the gate. We had probably a couple thousand attendees at our mm -hmm. first one. Uh, and as I left, I think we were averaging about 5,000 attendees in summer. They're up to about eight, ten thousand 10,000 attendees right now. Yep. But before you can even get started, the minute they open the floodgates <laughs> for questions to be asked, before we can even start, People are like, uh, can cell phone be included in utilities? Can garbage fees be included in, uh, you know, your your uh, sewer payment? It just and the the whole thing is, you know, this isn't like a got you on a on a tax policy change. Right. The ultimate intent was to forgive these loans. The banks don't want to hold the, the no the loan. no. The, the government doesn't want the banks holding the loan. They want this stuff flushed through. So as long as you're working within the letter of the law, generally, you know, I think positions could be taken on things, but assume positive intent. And there, there were just so many people wanted all of these massive answers. Right? We're in such a society here in the U.S. We're so rules-based in how we do things that everybody wanted the extensive rule and you just weren't going to get it. Right. And at some point you had to make some, you know, uh, opinions with the client to make it work. And so here we are now, but we were careful on some things to say, 
you know, if your client is the in the small town, owns the mansion on the hill overlooking that small town, and they own the small business in town, they may, you know, this stuff is FOIA qualified. This information's getting out there. We said yep. that early on. Yep. Same with any of the firms who were taking the money. And it turns out that there were a lot of companies that actually got a little skittish about that. That that comes into you know risk management when we're talking about doing things like this yep. uh, and what it means. So. Yep. Nope. Nope. It's a uh, it's an interesting time for sure in the profession, and I think uh, uh, an interesting time to be taking over an association. And I really look forward to uh, um, seeing where you go. Illinial has always been a you know great association in my mind, and I think with your strategic plan in place here and and how you're uh, looking at the business model with everybody. I look forward to see what we have uh, in the future for that. So and Randy, to that yeah. point, I mean, you, you asked me about, you know, starting at, in, as in the CEO role during a pandemic that actually helped me because I could not get on planes. I invited every single firm over 230 firms in a lineal global globally. We did this on a one-on-one, whether they wanted just the CEO of the firm, all their partners, their entire staff, whatever it was, I wanted to learn more about their firm and I wanted to know what we should be doing better and focus on to help them. I never could have done that uh, if people were expecting me to get on planes to do that. So that gave me a huge advantage coming in. I learned so much in such a short period of time. Yeah, no, no, I can see that for sure. Although, look at all those uh, uh, miles that you lost in your airline status. So. <laughs> I'll make them up. Right. I will make them up. Yeah, yeah I guess just to that point, and I think we should probably ramp up to that point. There has been some benefit, not that the, you can see the pandemic's a benefit, but some some ancillary things that have come out that have been good from the standpoint of those being being able to be more interactive with more people more often. Just from a, a conference standpoint, you know, we all like to be. In, in person, but every conference that I've been part of virtually, there's been a hot, much higher attendance than the in-person one. So at least reaching more people. So, so I assume, well, as long as we're going to go over time here, I'll ask you, I assume, uh, obviously everything's going to be going back to in-person, but are you going to do a, a hybrid model where you will do an in-person and a, and a uh, virtual together? Yeah, we're looking at that right now. Uh, yeah. Our first conference will be in May. It's in Charleston for uh, the executive team of our U.S. Uh, or our America's firms. Yep. Uh, but we're going to have some firms that can't make it at all. Either they've already set their policy in their firm that they're not traveling until right. out past a certain date, or their state will prevent them from traveling. Uh, but then there's still some who want to do it. Our, our hotel in Charleston, they've been having meetings all throughout 2020. Hmm. They're prepared for it. So we want to try and provide that benefit where we can. And then still provide a virtual option to that. I think hybrid is going to be the option going forward, period, whether it's inside of your own organization yep. and how you do things. For firms, it's an opportunity to uh, recruit outside of your local marketplace, without a doubt, but you've got to get the right policies in place. I, I said this in a recent blog that comes out this week that this is not a – uh, work from home only or a work in office only. There is no set policy. It's work from anywhere at your choosing, as long as you use professional judgment to get to that point. So it's about choice more so than rules right. around where and when the work is going to get done. And if we incorporate the right 
oversight and the right policies around that, then we can expand our recruiting. We can even expand our clients. Small firms have been oh, yeah. doing that for years in client accounting. They pick their particular niche and then they're grow, growing their practice because it doesn't matter anymore. Cloud has allowed that to happen. Yeah, there's been a lot of things we've been able to learn, I think, from the from just being forced to through this and and that 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 niche and getting clients anywhere, I think, is a huge man. We could go about another hour on a bunch of different topics, but I think we're gonna need to to wrap up. Before we do, I'm gonna ask one last question, but before I do that, anything I you wanna wrap up on what's going on within the association or any highlights and and I think we touched on a lot, but uh, I'll give you one last chance here. We're growing. Uh, we've added some sizable firms in the last 60 days. Uh, we have a, a number on the on the hopper right now that I can't talk about, but I'm excited. If people yeah. see the vision. They see the fact that we are going to be a technology organization. We are helping our firms with technology implementation, technology adoption, and access to technology and bringing our firms together so that uh, we are really sharing in commerce globally. It's been an exciting time and a short period of time for me, and I'm looking forward to what the future holds. Yeah, I think we're going we're to have to do another one of these because we can go on that whole uh, change of the uh, the work, uh, uh, you know, work from home, work remote. We can go on that whole technology and how everybody was, uh, uh, you know, if they weren't prepared, they are now. Or at least they're, they're a lot further away along than they used to be. We will leave that till next time. Before we do a final wrap up, I always ask a fun fact about uh, the guest on the show. And I'm... Uh, we can go anywhere we want with this, but I have one thing I specifically want to ask you because um, you and I have talked before and, and I know that you and your wife own a, uh, a store. Uh, I think your wife is the, the runs that, but called, I think it's crafted. It's a, it's a, a wine craft beer and crafts in general. I mean, all in one location. That's an interesting uh, store there. And that why that's interesting to me and you and I have talked, I'm actually a partner in a craft beer bar as well. So, so tell me how this came about and, and, and how that's going these days. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You talk, you know, small business. And we, we, we moved out to the mountains of North Carolina. And all at the same time, within two weeks of, of moving out there, we bought an existing business that was out there. My wife owns it. She's the one running it. She has her aunt working with her in the business. I show up occasionally to do some wine tastings and, uh, you know, have fun with it. But it really was a uh, concept, uh, the wine and beer a friend of ours in, in Wake Forest has a similar type of shop for that. But my wife has always been a crafter. She's had her uh, crafts, her handmade crafts that she makes for sale in other types of businesses, whether uh, antique shops or small craft shops. So we decided to incorporate the, the two. So we say sip, shop, socialize. It's a great place for people to hang out. They can shop while they're there. They can hang out with each other. A lot of people bring in food from a lot of the other local restaurants and they hang out with each other. We've created friendships with various people inside of it. So it has been a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I was there on Saturday with my wife just to kind of hang out and, you know, so just talking to different people about what their likes and things are. I learn more about wine based on whenever she has wine tastings and bringing uh, the experts in, it, it helps to expand 
my knowledge as well. I love wine and uh, we did incorporate cigars last year. So uh, there is cigar night with Mark on the back porch uh, when (laughs) weather allows uh, every couple of weeks or so. So it gets to incorporate all of my uh, vices together. Nice. Well, I was in a, a, on a virtual wine tasting with you a month or two ago, and that was a lot of fun. So I appreciate that. Uh, before we do the final, final, final wrap up. Um, uh, so they always want me to try to keep these to 20, 25 minutes. I just can't do it. I have too much fun. And we got, we got so many topics to talk about. But before we do that, before we close the show, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, I'm assuming website, LinkedIn, uh, you know, give out some uh, places they can get a hold of Mark. Yeah, Twitter is uh, at Marcoziel1. Email is mkoziel at alinealglobal.com. Alinealglobal.com is our website if they want to check out other things. So I appreciate that. And Randy, I appreciate what you've done for the profession. So uh, keep up the great work. Well, I appreciate that as well. And I have fun with this. I hope other people do too. If you if you do enjoy the show, I would uh, really appreciate if you uh, give it a review or five stars or whatever, wherever you're listening. And, and uh, I haven't asked that before. I feel uh, we're getting to a point where I'm going to ask that. So I, I would appreciate that people do that. Thank you for joining us today. And you can find all the links and show notes for today's episode, as well as more about Trimerit at theuniquecpa.com. Remember to subscribe and join us for our next episode where we'll be going beyond compliance into forging new pathways of delivering value to clients, diversifying your revenue streams, and leading-edge management techniques and styles. This has been a production of Twin Flame Studios.